Welcome to the Metal Hammer Podcast, episode 30. 30. We got triple X like Vin Diesel. <laughs> sure. And other unnamed things. Yeah. <laughs> what a landmark. Uh, yeah, 30 weeks. We, we're fucking out. It's coming up to a year and not too, not too long at all. That's mad. Thanks to everyone that's continued to support us. We ain't going nowhere. Having a hell of a time. I'm Mal. I'm here with Luke and Jonathan. How are you both doing? Very good. Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. I'm a bit tired and slightly hungover, <laughs> if I'm perfectly honest. And emotional. Yeah, and emotional. I went out to my friend's birthday last night to one of these like indoor crazy golf things and it had a few beers and I forgot we were recording. So yeah. <laughs> well like, done, professional as ever, Morton. Um, you've, been up to, you've been up to tons this week. What have you been doing? Yeah, a busy week. It's bank holiday, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, well, before the bank holiday, I went to see the Fever 333. Uh, at Islington Academy in London, which was, I don't know, what's that, like 300 people, 400 people, something like that? Uh, bit more, I think it's a bit bigger than the Underworld, isn't it? Oh, is it? Okay, maybe, maybe six hundred. Uh, sold out anyway, and they were the only band on and came on at half eight, which is great. And, <laughs> um, and yeah, it was wicked. Uh, did you see them at Download this year? Um, I didn't see them at Download. I saw them at Rockville in Florida right. in April. And it was, I thought it was really good, but it was very... Uh, bands just like fresh out of the blocks kind of right, yeah, themselves yeah. out in front of a crowd that I didn't think really seemed to know what they were about. Okay. So it was a few I, months ago. Because this was very much a crowd who knew exactly what was right. going on. Like you turned up and there were these like sermon sheets they were handing out it was like this sort of A4 pieces of paper on the cover it was sort of it was like the band's bio basically and a picture of the band and you open it up and it's the lyrics to every song they've got and you're just like oh this is quite cool and then you walk walk around the corner up these stairs into the venue and they're handing out pin badges uh, for the band which is you know very nice quite a cool little thing and free pin badges yeah free enamel pin badge it's quite wow. quite good I'm wearing it on my jacket and then <laughs> And then, yeah, you sort of go in and sim- exactly the same as Download, there's a big white curtain across the stage and you're just like, oh, so you can't see anything. And then Jason walks on looking like he's like a Guantanamo uh, prisoner with like a hood on his head and a jumpsuit and stuff. Curtain drops, everyone's got fists in the air and it all kicks off from there. And he did like four new songs or something that aren't oh, on the cool. EP. Yeah, well, I was yeah. going to say, if you've got, <laughs> coming on at 8.30 with a four or five song EP, it's quite, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it's a, a bold move. But yeah, they did like four new songs, all of which were great, to be honest. Like, it's, cool. um, I can't remember, they can't remember the names of any of them, but like, they opened on a new one, and after like the second chorus, everyone was already singing along. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's very much like, it's not too intense lyric-wise, you know, it is just sort of like sort of sloganeering, like chant-along choruses, because mm. that's pretty much what they are. But yeah, and like, Jason was just like, fucking hell, like, how are you already singing along? Like, this wow. is mad. Did the new stuff have uh, kind of more electronic elements or hip hop elements, anything like that? Um, it, there was one that was definitely way more hip hop based. Because uh, there's a song on the EP that literally sounds, and I mean, this is a compliment, that literally sounds like a Brother Jewels track. Was that the one with like Yellow Wolf on it? Yeah, or yeah, something? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there's one that's a bit more, yeah, way more in that vein. But the rest of it was all very much like a rock show. The one thing I thought was weird is that. In, anyone who's seen Jason live in any form knows that he throws himself around and goes mental and everything else. And after the second song, he was like climbed up onto the like the mezzanine level on top of the PA and stuff like, yeah, Jason, wicked. But to after that, it was fairly tame. Mm-hmm. Like it, he actually made a point of singing the songs and being like, I'm more than just your, you know, class clown type mm-hmm. deal. And that was really, really interesting. That it was like, okay. Yeah, I'm that guy, but also there's a point to this. It's funny that because 
all I saw on social media the next day was photos of him up in the balcony or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all like, so it just kind of, it, it project, it's still projected this thing of like, it was fucking chaos because that's all you saw across yeah, Instagram yeah. and Twitter the next day was Jason was climbing everywhere. Yeah, exactly. So it's interesting that he kind of got his little photo up and then went back down the bottom with it. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, and I'm actually, I'll actually see him for the next hour. And yeah, to be fair, he did, I think they did an hour, maybe just over, because they say a lot of talking in between about the UK and uh, his family and his kids and how, you know, Let Live Ran His Course and now he's doing a new thing. Um, and yeah, it was just quite a really good, you know, a solid night out. I think, I prefer download, I think, just because I didn't know what to expect and it was just like, there's so much hype around mm-hmm. it and it's a secret show and everything else. But I'm very excited about what they're doing. Did he uh, do, because the only thing, and I know it sounds bad to, Cuss Let Live Live because they were widely regarded as one of the best live bands of their generation and all the rest of it. But the only thing I used to find a little bit of a blocker with them live was when he went on those kind of really long, mega overall emotional hmm. speeches. And I, I always felt bad saying it because you could tell it came from a very real place, but like he would literally stop the gig and talk for like three, four minutes at a time, like five times in a set sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was he doing that kind There of was, stuff? I can't remember what the actual crux of the point was he was a boy because it was a few days ago now but it was but see that to me it wasn't a very good sign of but that's the thing what it, he said I remember the time mean? thinking like yeah right on man but yeah this is you know, nearly a week ago now yeah I can't really remember but yeah it did it was like a three like a three minute sort of like I'm going to stop and make you know introduce it's the song in quite an eloquent way I think about when the architects played Ali Pali and Sam did that speech about making a difference Mm. near the end of the gig oh yeah and he yeah, talked yeah. about like whether you're stopping someone you see being racist or you're stopping someone who's being sexist or homophobic or whatever like stand up for other people and all that stuff that affected me and I was, I was thinking about that speech for days yeah because yeah, yeah. it was so powerful and I think Jason really stands for so much of that kind of stuff but I do I did find that by the time Let Live came to the end of their tenant all that stuff was washing over me a little bit because it just felt like part of the core with him yeah yeah and there was one thing he did that I thought it was really clever and good, but he did it at download as well, which is where he got, sorry, got everyone to close their eyes and say, like, I'll raise your hand if you I've ever felt marginalised or, or, you know, or persecuted or whatever in any way, whether you've made you feel like a minority. And then he's like, oh, now, and obviously then he was like, oh, now open your eyes. And you see that everyone's got their arms in the air. That's cool. Uh, yeah, it's quite a really nice sentiment. It's like, oh, you're not the minority. You know? mm-hmm. and, he, and again, he, he did make another speech about you know, standing up and fighting for something because you know the world's fucked right now and yeah it, it was exactly what you wanted to hear and, but it was very much preaching to the choir at certain points where I was like sure. no one's turned up to a Fever 333 show thinking it's a right wing rally or yeah, something yeah showing up there with a MAGA hat you're probably yeah. probably in the wrong place yeah. but, but as like musically I think it's great and I think they're doing something that you know not that a lot of bands say that they stand for but don't really act definitely on. definitely um, well I'm not content with seeing one of the most exciting young bands in the world today <laughs> yeah. practice yourself yeah. off to Reading as well yeah yeah it's the day after all because you weren't going to go at one point no I wasn't going to go to Reading because I, I think we may have talked about it on the podcast how like that it's a good lineup for you know young music fans but in terms of if you're a heavy music fan there's not a lot there this year and then you know Rumours started coming out that you know for the most open secret of the year. That, you know that that, that meme that's like feigned shock or whatever, like surprise, like pretends to be shocked face. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's like everyone, when it was like, oh my god, <laughs> yeah, bring were, me the horizon plane ready. You're kidding me, uh, and yeah, so I ended up making an impromptu trip to Reading to see Bring Me's um, secret set, which really was the most. 
like on the day, Bring Me were tweeting like a picture of. Um, like them in their practice room and tagged it as at Reading and it, and it was just like oh come on lads I mean I think you know you've got to create hype at this kind of stuff no exactly obviously and you won't be able to turn it off yeah 2003 when Metallica did download I remember hearing about that before they went and did it and there yeah. was no Facebook no Twitter yeah, 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 yeah it was just kind of message boards and stuff like that and I think uh, websites might have reported on it and yeah 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 I remember just rumours going around and people texting each other and there was just, I remember the anticipation um, when they came on in the tent, mm-hmm. and it was really magical. It depends on when the um, with those kind of speaker stands come into view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, just yeah. like oh, we are going to see Metallica like up close and personal. Exactly. So what was it? What was it like? Like bring me at Reading? Probably not. It, not as, it's probably not as exciting as Metallica. No, it? no, but quite, I mean, you know, closest thing you're going to get to no, a modern generation rock band. To be honest, they were on. It was in the second. Or the, like the first ten, I guess, in the second stage, uh, the Radio One ten, and which you can probably fit about twenty thousand yeah, people in something. It's massive, that. and that was packed. Like it, yeah, word had got around, and there was no like stage show or anything. They didn't have like the big illuminated BMTH sign or anything, and sort of like the lights went down, and then it was deafening when they walked on. It was wow. mad. I was, it was like the second coming of Christ that just walked on stage so like the band was out and it was a you know, very young crowd maybe not even rock fans but they knew who Boom the Horizon were and they just went fucking mad like they opened on Mantra which I think had been out like two days by that point and it already had two million plays on Spotify two million plays on YouTube wherever, and everyone knew wow. every single word and they only did stuff from That's the Spirit and Semper Eternal which is to be expected, I guess, in what was... Uh, How long was the set? About 40 minutes, I think, oh, I think, okay. I think it's seven or eight songs. Right. Um, and yeah, it was it was great, to be honest. Like, I love, I, that's the spirit, I think it's got some wicked singles. Semitone, I think it's amazing. Yeah, classic. Mantra has grown on me a bit. Live, I think I'm still it, finding I, my way around Mantra. I find it, I, I've said, so, so somebody else online that, the bit it really succinctly every time I listen to it I think I really like it and then I forget what it sounds like when it stopped playing yeah all I can really think of is the computerised voice that says mantra and then yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like, okay, mantra <laughs> um, but yeah like when they did Throne it was unreal how loud and how crazy that crowd went yeah. and like, there were proper pits you know, for songs so they, he did the whole sit down jump up again for Drown uh, and it was just a party it didn't feel like a metal band it, it didn't even feel like necessarily a rock band it was just like we're a band that are going to rule festivals yeah. soon because you know, if they put out this album that say if this album has four wicked singles on it they could just wheel out for the four singles from the last four albums well, you know, here's 16 in songs the, in the office the other day um, because the tour's booked for the end of the year yeah, well, not yeah. at the end of the year, but it's booked before the album comes out. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, this is my hot tip, everyone. That at tours in November in the UK, and it goes into like April next year for Australia and stuff. And the album's out in January, so they won't tour the UK post album. But it's a big gap where the summer festivals are. Mm. A big gap, and I don't, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's download. But at the same time, you've got to assume. Reading have looked at that and gone, yeah, we'd we'd like you to headline here, please. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. I mean, it'd be amazing to see it wherever they might 
rock up. I, it'd, be, it'd be mad if they're not doing a festival next but year. But I think it'd be interesting if they got offers from both, like say Download and Reading. It'd be interesting to see which one they would go for. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's, it's, see, I, kind of see where their future lies. Sure. And I don't know if I literally couldn't know less about this side of it all, but I don't know if the money would be similar to do Reading as it would Downloads. Because on one side of it, I imagine Reading probably has a bit more money to spend because they do... Got leads as well, I guess. So yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of... Yeah, exactly. Um, and they book mainstream bands as well. Uh, but it might mean more to download to get them to headline. I don't mm. know. It's, a, it's an interesting dynamic. It, yeah, it's not a bad position to be in, really, for a band that used to play Deathcore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know I, mean? I remember seeing them third on the bill at the um, Borderline supporting the Red Chord. Wow. wow! Yeah, I actually said who in the fucking red cord? Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I mean that. I mean the crowd was packed. They had their own crowd. But that was the interesting thing about Bring Me In. And I quite, I actually have to say, I quite enjoyed the gig at the time. I thought the energy was good. Um, mm. Obviously, a bit, you know, dues but other things. But um, I thought they were. I, I really actually really enjoyed the gig. And I, I, you know, I kind of quite liked the band at that point. Um, but back then, they had, you know, they had their own crowd. Their own crowd had a particular kind of look. Mm. And um, going, going crazy. And I think that's kind of the mark of a band is like when they have a crowd that kind of only they can kind of pull together. Yeah. Yeah. And I was wondering, even though it's a big festival, if um, if there was a crowd of clearly bring me people at Reading. It's a hard one because and bearing in mind they weren't booked. They yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they weren't booked, and it's sold out before it's sold out before they were announced. But I, I obviously I didn't know, but I'd be interested to see how busy the rock tent was while bring me what on. And and how big because Creeper were on the main stage at the same time Bring Me were on really as well yeah which sucks oh, that's for a Creeper bummer yeah that's, yeah oh man um, so it'd be interesting to see yeah where the sort of allegiances lie in terms of like in terms of rock fans because there was three other things you could be doing or two other things you could be doing while Bring Me were on but uh, yeah I didn't uh, say I didn't see them but I think Bring Me uh, could be the like the ultimate festival band if this album's right. Basically, I think they could do a 16 song set from four albums and everyone has the best time. Awesome. Uh, I guess I guess what to go back to what you said about whether they do reading or download, it'd be interesting if they did the same thing at download, would they get the same crowd? Would they get the same size crowd? Yeah. Because at download you might have something like, I don't know, at that time of day you could have a pretty big metal band on the main stage or something like that. Um, yeah, this was only like two, like half two in the afternoon. Right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, probably not then. In that case, you'd get something a bit smaller. But yeah, interesting. Did you see anyone else already? Uh, I saw the last two songs of the Fever three three three. Because obviously, I can't, <laughs> I can't get enough. Get over it. Uh, yeah, that, that was good. But um, and then I saw like three songs of Post Malone and saw what's the fucking point? And, <laughs> and not away. a Post Malone fan. <laughs> not really. Like, I sort of I was because I wanted to see what all the fuss was about. You know, he's got like over a billion plays on one song on Spotify and I was like okay I'll go check it out and yeah it was a big crowd but I was just like this isn't for me yeah nothing makes me feel more out of contact um, yeah out of touch with the youth of today than uh, loads of white rappers that have been bathed in biro (laughs) (laughs) and I know how old I just sounded saying that but there we go oh well 
Uh, don't forget that the latest issue of Metal Hammer is still on sale right now. It features a world-exclusive interview with Disturbed. You won't read this interview anywhere else. We get behind the new album. We find out what's, uh, what's going on with all the big changes in David Draven's life. It was written by RL, who's away on holiday at the moment. Lovely, in Japan. lovely bloody time in Japan. Um, and yeah, it's a hell of an interview. You won't get it anywhere else. Pick it up. Uh, check it out. Uh, you know, all the details on MetalHammer.com. You know how it works. Outright now. What else has been going on in the world of metal? Slayer are not ending just yet. <laughs> Good, do it again. Yeah, pretends to be shocked, face. Surprise. Uh, yeah, they've said that. Oh, well, yeah, the farewell tour that you know, as with all farewell tours, it doesn't end when you think it does. And they've and Kerry has said um, that it's going into 2019. In fact, the quote is that we always knew this tour would take us into 2019. Us too, Kerry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and we've been blown away by the response we've been getting here in North America. We've heard about fans who have driven five, six hours or flown in from other cities or countries to see us. So we want to assure our fans that we'll be on the road through 2019 and we'll get to as many places around the world as possible. Just fair enough, I yeah. guess. Yeah. I mean, good. They're on the best. I think everyone has fairly agreed that Slayer are on the best life form they've been on for about, I don't know, at least five or six years at the moment. Yeah, they've been great the um, last two times I've seen them. Bring it on. Yeah, I saw them at Brixton a couple of years back. They were fucking great. Seen them at Bloodstock uh, a couple of times in the last few years. They were great. Saw them in Chicago last year. They were great. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? We were talking about, I think it was last week's podcast, week, one before, about what Slayer would, whether Slayer would headline Bloodstock or whether they'd yeah. do the second stage at Download. And they've been announced as doing Hellfest in June, which suggests they're around for Download, but... Who knows? Interesting. Are they headlining at Hellfest? Uh, they, they, just, they don't think they're headlining now. I think they're just appearing at. Okay. Well, their, their tour runs through... I mean, the tour's mostly sold out, if not completely sold out, but their tour runs through the UK in November. So chances are it'll be... I imagine going on past years, it'll be just before or just after that that we find out what their... If any, festival plans are. Yeah, yeah. They might come back and do their own big gig in a field. You never know. That'd be good. They could do that. Yeah, yeah easily. Yeah. Put together a big thrash bill, have a lovely day. Oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. We will see. Exciting times. Uh, speaking of veterans not going anywhere, Judas Priest are saying Firepower won't be their final album. Yeah, Ian Hill's been uh, well interviewed and has said that um, basically, because he was all talking about whether Glenn can carry on, I guess. And he said that Glenn, Glenn can play for a while, even during a bad day. It's just that he can't play for a whole show. As, and then he goes on to say, there's no reason to stop writing new songs. He's quite capable of composing riffs and playing for a, a while to record an album. So we don't expect Firepower to be the last one. Cool. Which is good, but I, get it. I think, well, next year, everyone's, no one was expecting a new record because next year's the 50th anniversary. So everyone was just like, well, do something big, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Big old, uh, big old nostalgic celebratory thing. But yeah, I mean, I think... Because Ghost has since come this year, and I mean, to be honest, there's been a ton of other great stuff as well. We've kind of been spoiled, but um, I still think Firepower is the best album Priest have done in, well, definitely since Painkiller, which is the better part of 30 years. And I think it's, I mean, for me personally, it's right up there in my top five or so Priest albums ever. I think it's a modern classic. It's absolutely, there isn't a single second on that album that doesn't absolutely slay. So. They want to do it again? Or yeah, they were totally, <laughs> yeah, we're totally on fire live at Bloodstock. Um, and you can tell they've got the creative files. But it's always funny when a band does an album that's kind of off their beaten track. 
like with a Nostradamus, mm. and then they just come and then they come back from that and they just hit it absolutely yeah. on the net. Well, they, they had a uh, redeemer of souls as well in between those. Yeah, which yeah, is yeah. a bit more straightforward. But yeah, but that, that one was just like trying to get their feet again, mm. and then as a launch pad for firepower. Yeah, um, it's, it's funny. You just get these moments in time. Um, like I said, when uh, Firepower was about to come out, this is their end game, and it's mm. the same as with when Megadeth did end game. Sometimes a band just gets, they just capture that moment again, and every, everyone can feel it. Everyone yeah. just knows it's something special. Yeah, just don't think too much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. especially if you're Judas Priest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just write a banging yeah. heavy metal album. Like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, let Andy Sneed produce every record ever, basically. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty much the moral of the story. In other news, Atreyu have announced a new album. I'm sure you're excited, Jonathan. I'm thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's <laughs> let's balance that out. Yeah. Uh, you know, an, an almost seminal band for the OC metal scene. Yeah, I used to really like Atreyu. I think it was... Fox to set up. There was Lead Sales Paper Anchor and the one before that that I can't remember what it was called. The Death Grip on Yesterday yeah. that I thought was <clears> wicked. <throat> and... What, the one before that, even that had Bleeding Mascara on it, which is a great track. I was, yeah, I was really into it. But then, I think Avenged just pissed all over everyone in that scene, really, and sort of a trade got left by. The well, I think Avenged transcended it, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Thing. everyone sort of left that vampiric thing behind him, yeah. and that's a bit silly. But I, I, I still got a bit of soft spot for a trade in, in sort of the older music they do. The last album I thought was a bit eh. Uh, but when they played it, when they, did, when they did Underworld show, I think off the back of that, and it was great. It was good to see them. Yeah, you know, I'd never seen them until then. It was like, oh god, I remember all these songs. This is great. Uh, I sort of hope that this one is heavy. I think my only worry is that because they, you know, there's no reason for them to still be a really screamy band. I think they're getting, like, they're all getting a bit older and just maybe are looking at Avengers being like, okay, you're not heavy anymore. You're not, you're not screaming anymore. You're not doing that anymore. And you're, you know, you're making lots of money. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I'm not saying Avenged don't, don't carefully curate their brand and everything else, but the reason Avenged are where Avenged are at is because they've always gone, fuck everybody, we're doing exactly what yeah, they completely. want. Like, at no point in Avenged career can you look at what they were doing. Maybe apart from Waking the Fallen, but Waking the Fallen was the best damn from that scene by a mile anyway. Yeah. Everything they've done since, they've not done what would be the easy or obvious thing to do. Oh yeah, they secretly released a prog album. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, they're not a band who, you know, I don't think that you can't copy a template like that because to do that, you'd have to go and do something totally different to what they've done. So yeah, yeah. but so I'm quite. I say I've got they've got a new song out that I listened to once, and yeah, it's, it's decent. But there's a quote from uh, Alex, the frontman, saying how the deaths of like Chris Cornell and Chester Bennington were weighing on them quite a lot during this record so it'll be interesting mm. to see how that manifests itself but yeah I'm, 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 I've listened, I'm going to listen to the record because I'm you know was a fan that's your job yes that's my job <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, but yeah as, a, as a I guess yeah a former fan maybe or a fan of the old stuff I'm you know I'm hoping they can you know, rekindle that sort of mm. teen angst yeah the thing is they kind of it's, you want them to become those teen hands, but you, they're kind of getting older at the same time. Mm. So you find these bands in this weird position of like trying to be one thing and another, but there's nothing really in the sense to bind them. Like I think a lot of bands like Atreyu, like you kind of feel that their album is like each next album is kind of a calculated step, like what should we do next, mm. rather than um, it can you know, if they leave go of the sort of ad, more adolescent parts, they're gonna they think they're gonna lose parts of the audience. So I just feel that um, 
when listening to the albums, you're thinking of like the calculated step sometimes with these bands. I've had, and I've had a little bit of the record, and obviously it's not for me. And it just seems there's a bit of something for everyone uh, in a way, but like, but but nothing really there that's genuinely um, there because it has to be there. I don't mm. know. I mean, I've only had a couple of tracks, so um, it's it's weird to have a band like that. They were such a powerhouse at a kind of I wouldn't say a formative part of my journey into metal but certainly one of the big bands around a few years after I got into metal um, kind of treading water towards being a nostalgia band mm. that's what you just don't want to be I think at any point in your career you know we've just been talking about Slayer being on Wicked Form Live and Judas Priest of all people yeah, releasing yeah, yeah. one of the best metal albums of the last few years you know you don't want to you don't want to be the band that people go and see to help you just to hope you just play those old you just roll out those old songs yeah yeah. but, um, look, but look what happened with Killswitch when, when Jesse came back you know suddenly they were just totally, completely yeah. revitalised you know that was like totally from the heart no safety nets no um, and you know that that could have happened to Killswitch and that's again don't think too much just, no. <laughs> just, um, just let it all just let it all go no safety nets and and don't give a fuck. Yeah, absolutely. And Killswitch are a good example of the band who I think are at that precipice again now where they, you know, Jesse came back, they felt revitalised again, they released a banging album with The Sun, The Descent, mm. and then they followed it up with uh, Incarnate, which I actually think is a really good album. There's some wicked mm. songs on there, but it didn't quite seem to hit the spot with everybody in the same way. Um and now lots of people, myself included, kind of find themselves going, oh, they should do an Alive or Just Breathing set and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and yeah, you kind yeah. of, like, there's a lot of bands from that generation that I think often find themselves in that danger zone of just basically having, you know, 30-somethings looking to come back and relive their teen years, um, which isn't what you want. So hopefully none of those bands will do that. Yeah. That'd be nice. Just fucking play, man. Yeah. Oh, speaking of nostalgia, <laughs> having just said what I said, yeah. um, Iowa turned 17 years old this week. It's old enough to drive in England. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking when I wrote that, like, what does 17 mean? Of course. <laughs> um, I mean, where do you start with an album that, that unquestionably, in the UK at least, is the heaviest, most extreme album to ever go to number yeah. one? Yeah, it's the first and possibly only album with blast beats to get to number one. And... So fucking good. Like, you talk about I've your massive Slipknot nut. Where, where yeah. was that the album you got into them on? Did you get into? No, I, no, I got into them on the on the um, on the debut. My friend lent me uh, the debut album on CD, and I taped it and listened to it until it wore out. But then I got my own copy on CD of Iowa, and yeah, I remember putting it on and being almost scared of the intro track at the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember. Totally. I, you know, I remember. I, I, to be fair, I thought my CD was broken when I put it in. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I was just like. This isn't what the fuck's this? Because it's just Sid screaming yeah. for like a minute, and it's all been warped and stuff. I mean, like you, I think I just skipped him and oh no, what's going on? I mean, it, yeah, it goes into people equal shit. You're like, okay, I'm down with this. Yeah, and I must have been twelve when when, fuck. Uh, when I got there. That's mad that I'm a couple of years older than you, and you got into Slipknot before I did. Because I got into them. Uh, I I'd seen Wait and Bleed on music TV. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember thinking, well, that's a bit crazy. But that, that's still one of the catchiest songs I've ever done, even though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then my mate uh, from school played me Left Behind when they just dropped that. 
and I was still very much in my new metal phase and I kind of started checking out old metal as well like I went to Maiden and stuff at that point I left behind was at, at the point I first heard it it was literally too heavy for me I was like I don't know what I'm listening to <laughs> I, I was like what the fuck I remember the video came out and it's all those horrible colours and the kids with the bowl of maggots or something well no but there's, there was a thing there was that but there's a bit that on that video that I still don't understand to this day is that there's a kid with a bowl of cereal oh, that's in his house cereal. and he puts water on it <laughs> <laughs> maybe he didn't have milk eat cereal and like <laughs> <laughs> people have troubles but he, he just turns on this dirty tap and like muddy water comes out he's sat there eating his cereal and muddy water it's like, called subversion Luke yeah I know uh, it's like it's art um, but yeah so I got into it a bit later that was the album I got into Slimbot on but you think just from a, a, a base point obviously they had hate feed kill mate repeat what's it called mate feed kill repeat mate feed yeah that one yeah that one um, it didn't really count kind of was like a, no, like a glorified you know, AP really yeah, testing testing the waters a bit they come out with a debut, uh, easily the most talked about metal true debut album for a generation. They, they, they have to follow up with a second album. It's on Roadrunner, it's a big deal. And the first proper song you hear on it is People Equal Shit. That opening 30 seconds of that song, I think is the biggest statement of intent any metal band has ever, ever yeah. put onto a sophomore album. It is like, that, here we go again, motherfuckers, is so like, like, oh, yeah, we yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, we are going It's just again. such a cool, like, way to just go, you know, we're not going lighter, we're not bringing in more choruses, we're going heavier, we're yeah, going yeah. more dark as well. Such a dark album, Iowa. And, uh, and there's, like, two instrumental tracks, all, like, you know, weird ones, there's Gently, and then there's, like, the end track, Iowa, that's just, like, what, nine minutes, and it's really fucking weird, and it's obviously just clown going off on one. Yeah. But it, it, it all works, it's, like, it's all, almost a concept record, I guess in that it's one cohesive just like look how pissed yeah. off we are it people. feels like the most thematically uh, concrete album yeah. they've done like and it all feels like one shade of kind of murky <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know I mean? like there's no other shades to it it's all just horrible yeah and it's just oh, it's so it's it's so good like it's mad how much I love this album and I don't know how to put it into words. Like every song is so good. There's nothing I skip on it. Even like the weird ones. Even the even the intro. Skin ticket. Skin ticket. New abortion. New abortion is a great song. And like just like the opening like five tracks as well. If you skip the first one, where it's like people equal shit into disaster piece, into my plague, into everything ends, into heretic anthem. It's just like yeah, fine. That's like if if you played that live, people would die. (laughs) It's it's stupid. But it, you know, but again, it came from like such an honest, dark place. That record, it wasn't like a calculated move at any point. It was just a bunch of you know twenty somethings locked in a room, just like oh, we don't like who we've become as people, really. Yeah. And it's just and here's everything that's gone wrong. And it made them bigger. Like going back to what we were just talking about about how the biggest mistake metal bands make is overthinking their next move. I mean, you should overthink it. You know, if you're playing bigger venues and stuff, you should probably start writing songs that will fill that and stuff like that. And that's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. But this kind of thing a lot of bands stall at where they think, what's going to get us the most plays on radio or what's going to get people singing our songs on the radio the most or whatever? What's going to be catchier? What's going to be yeah, cool? Yeah, what's going to fit in? Yeah, that's Slipknot went the absolute opposite there. They went, fuck that, we're going to go even heavier and more disgusting. And they got the number one album out of it. That's mental. Yeah, because if you think what's going to make, make a crowd go cra- crazy, well, if you think about what, if you think about it, it's this. 
the chances are like 30 other bands are thought exactly the same yeah thing. exactly so you know you know there's other ways to be unique, which is just listen to yourself. And so here you had like you know nine nine people in a room, and it's so weird because when you hear it, it's kind of the, the sound is really stripped down for mm. nine people, but that's still a sound like of kind of like a support group in a confined confined space. <laughs> off. Yeah. But, and that it makes sense that it's a nine people band. Definitely. And um, yeah, the, you know the intro is just like what you know. Talking as like you know someone who loves all my death but and everything for years and years, there's nothing compromised about that about that, those first songs whatsoever. No. Um, and the thing I, I found with a lot of kind of post Pantera metal was this kind of wounded testosterone masculinity and it's like what about me? But um, Iowa didn't have any of that. Like all that. I mean, you know, it was in it was in that post. Um, you know, it was considered in the ballpark of new metal, but. It didn't. It, it everything on that record was so relentless and driven. Like this is the only thing they can do. Mm. It's not just like you know. It wasn't that kind of yank masculinity. That yeah, that kind of self, that self pitying. Yeah, 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 kind yeah, yeah. Of thing yeah, yeah, dressed yeah, up yeah, in. yeah. It didn't have that self pity. Yeah. It was. It was actually people like pushing you, pushing back against being at the precipice, mm. and that kind of felt honest. And yeah, it was. It was different from everything else that's coming out at the time. Absolutely. Which is, you know, like you said, it was lumped in with new metal because it had those big chunky riffs, it had, you know, DJ scratches and whatever else. Um, but it just wasn't. No, <laughs> just, no, no. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, you know, that drum sound, that kind of industrial drum sound was like no one else was kind of doing it like that. I mean, you know, Korn had their own unique rhythm section. Um, Slipknot had their own unique rhythm section. And but that's always a good sign of something's healthy when I'm... Um, uh, you can see the links, but you can still see when bands are like totally individual within that, mm. and um, you know they're the ones obviously that you know survived as strong as ever. I know against all against all odds, really. You just think a band like that, just you know, masks and boiler suits and just gimmicked up to the yeah, tits, yeah, yeah. aren't they? Really, but uh, yeah, the biggest yeah. metal band since well, I guess Pantera. Since but yeah, Pantera, yeah. Pantera never really got to the same. Quite maybe they did with album things and stuff but um, with Slipknot they've had the kind of things, little things like the festival structure to get up to that big headliner spot yeah, that yeah, Pantera yeah. didn't really have and all that kind of stuff you know they're, they're uh, the most important band metals had in I don't know decades and decades and it came down to that album I think that really yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean I think it, you know, it, was, it, was, it was a really interesting line in the sound as well too because I mean mo I don't remember much of a pushback from death metal purists but um, if you're like you, you know 14, 12, 14, 15. And I imagine, like, you know, the death metal thing is because it had such a long history, it's very hard to know where to jump into. Mm -hmm. But this was something like it kind of drew the line, like, visually, everything. It kind of gave people a, a starting point. Yeah, um, even little things, into, like you say, visually, like the, the symbol of the goat. Yeah. It's kind of this subversive, weird thing. I mean, it's done in a more. Uh, let's say basic way than a lot of extreme metal does, but even just that image of the goat on the on the album sleeve, I found that so unsettling. I could couldn't yeah. put a finger yeah. on why. I, mean, I also, just remember looking at the, the CD and like Virgin or whatever, and just being like, "Oh, that's weird." <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't know why. It was just a goat, but it was just odd. But, but the visuals were were very state of the art. Yeah, to oh, totally, totally, like um, absolutely. Yeah, the, the, you know the, the the album covers weren't trying to look musky, and I mean they had that kind of like yeah, shiny covered into the eye. Or yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of them they had that kind of like old, um, fun, you know, sort of old 
carnival kind of tones to them, yeah. but that was still kind of very modern at the time. Yeah, mm. totally. You know, absolutely a classic album. Happy Seventeenth, Iowa. Woo. Go listen to it now. That's a hot tip. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what are the wonderful readers of Facebook.com forward slash Metal Hammer readers asking us today? Nice. Uh, yeah, I got it right. Uh, Brendan Crab asks, uh, "What is the worst slash most hostile reception you've seen a, uh, a crowd give a support act?" For me, it's probably where I killed the prom queen opening for the Haunted and Exodus in two thousand six. <laughs> yeah, that, that crowd loathed prom queen and booed them mercil- mercilessly. Plenty of middle fingers too. As I, said, I quite liked I killed, the, I killed the prom queen, but the Haunted and Exodus—that's a hard, that's yeah, a hard sell for them. Uh, the first one that instantly comes to mind is probably the first time I ever saw a band get a hard time was Funeral for a Friend getting uh, let's say a cold response to Iron Maiden Ooh, yeah. on the Dance of Death tour um, I'm pretty sure one of them got hit with a pint of piss or something it was pretty pretty like indifferent would be kind it was very not people right. weren't having it um, which is the same really because I think that was kind of the first time I'd seen that kind of cross-armed you're not in our world attitude towards a band mm. and I get it because I wasn't a big fan of Funeral for a Friend at all but it, it was just odd and a similar thing kind of happened with Trivium on the next one Trivium did a bit better but Trivium still struggled when they were on it as well was that on the matter of life and death yeah, it was, yeah I yeah. saw it on that tour yeah, yeah but that's, that's Maiden fans you know they tend to be there to see Maiden so yeah. you're always going to have a tough time so I've never seen anyone get like, you know booed or bottled off stage or anything like that but I remember when I went to see first time I saw Slayer was at the Unholy Alliance tour in 2006 I think it was like Children of Bodom and Lamb of God and In Flames maybe or something like that I remember being there just like really excited to see all these massive metal bands just like yeah this is going to be amazing it's, the crowd's going to be hot all night and all this no one gave a shit until Slayer came on. Really? Yeah. Well, that's the case with every Slayer game. Well that's the thing I like, never like Slayer I, fans are like notorious for um, you know exactly I know that now but at the like, time slight hate on Lamb of God in November I'm going to lose my rag at everybody I was just so mystified and like confused as to why the people who are obviously looking around like these are all metalheads why are you not all loving everything that's happening on stage right now these are massive bands mm-hmm. you know but literally it was the first time I'd ever I'd obviously never seen Slayer before so I didn't know what a Slayer crowd would be like but it was just like no, no one gives a shit until Slayer come on. And it was just really, really weird. Having said that, I remember seeing Slayer in LA actually, um, and one of the supports was Hatebreed, and people went crazy for it. I remember like Circle Pits and everything. I've been there certain times, I mean, Hatebreed, when was that? Uh, that would have been about 2003. So, yeah, like, there's certain examples. Is it System of a Down that blew Slayer off stage in London? Yeah, I, about, yeah, I wasn't yeah. there for that, but that's like fame. I think yeah. you've got a. If you're going to go on tour with Slayer, you've got to fucking step up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this was also during the Rain and Blood set. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. that was the first time I ever saw Slayer during that uh, that, that era. Yeah, this story. Um, but yes, if you're going to go on tour with Slayer, you probably have to know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you ever seen anyone bottle on stage? Uh, I've seen people get booed. Not really in a kind of a metal sense, but there's, a, there's an interesting, there's a kind of a tale to this. I remember seeing um, Therapy. Um, during the Trouble Gun era and their support got bottled off and it was uh, Grant Hart from Huskadoo oh um, okay and i not a big therapy fan but uh, to his credit Andy Cairns came on and said like um, 
he just booed off our support guy. If it wasn't for this guy, we would not be here. So it's kind of weird. It's like, if you know anything about the therapy, you know, and a lot of bands of their ilk, you know that a lot of their melodies, you know, came from Huskadoo. I mean, Huskadoo were like kind of gods for like these kind of slightly crusty bands with melodies. Um, and it's just an interesting thing. Just like people who go to see bands and don't care about any of the history or legacy of where the bands come from. And so I thought that was really weird. You know, I went to see, um, I went to see a uh, bear moth um, with Suicide Silence supporting. Uh, at Yulu. Uh, I think I was at that gig. Yeah, and all the Suicide Silence people pretty much left after Suicide Silence. Idiots. Like, yeah, it's like, but so this I don't understand. That's it's, a shame, really. Yes, yeah. that, that, that's a really good example of where, uh, uh, you know, some really cool boundaries could have been crossed there. Yeah, like if you're interested in something, would you not want to know the history of, of where your band comes from? And I've seen it a few things with um, some hit bands and they all, the people come on for this one hit band and they left before the headliners came on, which is a really actually quite important band. Um, so, um, yeah, so there's, you used to get a few of this in the kind of indie scene when I was um, kind of working for things like Melody Maker and um, remember Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine, they had a... Um, I'm sorry, what? You, you don't remember Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine? No. They were huge <laughs> in the world. They were, they were contemporaries of... Um, of um, uh, of um, therapy. Oh, okay. So in that, in I mean, when it comes to that, scene, yeah, it's, that it's, it's very yeah, far yeah, from where yeah, I yeah. Did. It was, it was kind of nineties, nineties indie, um, and they had a kind of a rap guy come on uh, supporting, and he got booed off, and started off a whole um, debate about racism in the indie scene. Right. Okay. And um, so yeah, these things can be kind of interesting when um, when you do get like this kind of description, this um, bands do get booed off, and what it says about the crowd or what it says about the bands. Well, I mean, uh, if we're allowed to include festivals, then 50 Cent at Reading 2004 is a hallmark. I can't remember if you talked about it. Yeah, you mentioned it. Yeah. I threw a deck chair. I, yeah, I, someone threw a deck chair at him. And that was kind of hilarious, but also, like, probably shouldn't, <laughs> you know, there, there were definitely people that were there to see 50 Cent that year. Ah. So a lot of very upset people walking through the crowd. Ah, talk, talking, of, talking of that, uh, when Slipknot, they played what used to be the, the precursor to Hellfest, Fury Fest. They, oh, wow. They, I think it was like one of the second, second or third years, and um, man, there was like people, uh, people throwing everything, bog rolls, bug brushes, everything. At Slipknot. At Slipknot, wow. everything they could wow. get their hands on. It was just an absolute torrent. Um, maybe it's because of rumours that um, they'd taken over all the backstage, so no one else could sound check. Um, but maybe because it's because of Slipknot and, and people were just very anti Slipknot. How does Slipknot react to that? Um, defiantly, are you, Matt? Yeah, they're not going to go. Oh, sorry, sorry, lads. We'll, we'll go. Now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's that. Like, I, I would have loved to have been at that. Just to see, like that's an that's an electricity. Like to have slip not trying to someone trying to bottle slip off. So yeah, yeah. That's yeah, the yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it was it was like. You, you couldn't see the daylight, you couldn't see the sky for, for my oh, That's exactly what I thought with the 50 cent thing. It was it was surreal. Oh, yeah. Lethal Bizzle at, um, at uh, Download that year yeah. as well, but he powered through that and he had the crowds. Which I think I said this before, yeah. but yeah. Stop stop bottling rappers. At yeah, I, I'm still a rage about Daffy and Celeste getting bored off already. I actually mean this seriously, they were the most subversive band on that bill. <laughs> for fuck's sake. As it probably says a lot more about indie music than it does about that. Fair. Well, they were between Rage Against the Machine and Slipknot that year. 
Anyway. Okay, this, okay, the third most. So Matt Grimster asks, who would you pick for a heavy? That is a brilliant name. If that's his real name, by the way. Mr. Grimster, <laughs> young Master Grimster asks, who would you pick for a heavy metal version of the Great British Bake Off? I think I've nailed this. Do you want to go? First? Uh, I've not even. I've not actually written anyone down. Go on. Oh, okay. Go on. Uh, so, I I don't actually watch the Great British Bake Off, but uh, there's a there's a presenter and judges, right? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. So I'd have Devin Townsend presenting. Nice. And the judges would be Gal, <laughs> Maria Brink. <laughs> And Frankie Palmieri. <laughs> Don't pretend like you wouldn't watch that. Yeah, I actually think Garn is a great choice. <laughs> I really up. don't understand the logic behind. What? Well, how do you pick it? I'm just, yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking a show. Garn is actually um, Garn's a good show. I mean, that's yeah, he's, he's a proper connoisseur of everything. Well, I don't know, but I just I think, think you want three that... funny personalities talking about cakes. No, that's they've got fucking Noel Fielding on it this year. Yeah, that's yes. true. Yeah, Frankie Palmieri is the Noel Fielding of uh, <laughs> heavy metal. Fuck yeah! I was, oh, I was thinking, I was like, yeah, Garn's the poor Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think if the Mary Berry. I didn't really mean to do that on purpose, but there you go. I was trying to think if there's any um, metal bands or maybe metalists that are famously into cooking or baking. Well, there's Sahil from. Um, yeah, I was just going to say. Demonic Resurrection. Yeah, yeah. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and not, also he's hilarious. Yeah, he's he's just like one of my favourite people in the metal scene. Yeah, if you could do it properly, you could have Sahil. Obviously, rest in peace, Mr. Vinnie Paul would be an amazing chat as well. Oh, as long as they're doing barbecue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, They've got a vegan week this week or this this year. FYI, great bitch bake off style. Sorry, I thought you meant something to do with Pantera. Like, yeah, what? yeah, yeah, vegan Pantera. Unlikely. Yeah, yeah it's... what Tane doing a blood pudding? <laughs> oh, <laughs> that would be good. Yeah, would watch. <laughs> uh, yeah, and anything else? <laughs> I think Eval from Enslaved would be great because he's re- he's hilarious and I. I and he, I know he's a big food fan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Matt Heapy's a massive food fan. Oh, He'd be all over that shit. Oh, brilliant. He? he loves his grub. Get uh, Ollie Sykes doing Yorkshire puddings. I <laughs> <laughs> sure. don't think of any, as I first bat from Yorkshire, I could think of. God. And others. <laughs> and others. There, there's your, there's your lineup. There you are, Matt. You'd watch it next week on Channel 4. Uh, Ken Jemiasen asks, how important is the cover artwork and what makes a great looking cover? Talk about albums, obviously. I think it's, is, is that is album art still important? Yes. I, I, yeah, I, I think it is. That's a defiant straight off the track. Yeah, it is because quite often, even you know, you, don't, you see it as a thumbnail now a lot of the time. If you see an album with shit artwork, it'll sometimes might put me off listening to it straight away, or sort of thinking that looks naff. So, what do you define as shit artwork? Because the first thing that comes to mind for me is European power metal bands. Photoshopped onto oh, you're a really bad the world. Onto yeah, like yeah. a lightning background. Or I think something. I think that's, I instantly think I oh, know that's going to sound like, and it's probably not. Yeah, I think that's the one that sticks out the most is overly photoshopped. Anything was like so. Oh, it's a landscape with some band badly photoshopped onto it, or something, or some really distressed font for no reason, and it, it all looks the same and it all looks cheap. And I think that's that's part of the problem. Yesterday, I was doing it as. Well, actually, going up on the hammer site today, going through the history of Eddie in Iron Maiden's artwork, and there's one I think it's Dance of Death or something that is the one of the worst album covers I've ever seen. I was um, what well, Maiden's done, yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, there's a funny story behind that though, because 
I think what's annoying about Dance of Death, and I've actually got Maiden written down here as an example of a band who have managed to make album art still a massive part of their identity. Like when there's a new Maiden album out, one of the first things people want to know is what's the new Eddie, what's the new Eddie. Yeah, yeah. The, the annoying thing about Dance of Death, and I genuinely think that artwork has shadowed people's view of that album because I think it's a very underrated album. Uh, the Eddie is fucking wicked. Yeah, it's Grim Reaper. Grim Reaper Eddie is one of the best Eddies they've ever done. Like this, he looked wicked live. He looks good on the album art. But from what I understand, somehow um, they sent through a kind of first draft of this concept of kind of like weird paganistic uh, ritual mm-hmm. thing. Very, very roughly done on a computer in not very long. And it just got signed off for the whole thing. <laughs> Brilliant. So that artwork isn't supposed to be, wasn't supposed to be the final artwork. But yeah, as it came out, it was it was awful. Yeah, it's really so bad. bad. But I think you know, artwork's also the reason why vinyls on the rise. Like, I think if people realise if you lose all of that, you're going to lose artwork. And um, and at the moment, there's so many great artists doing covers. I mean, John Bass is a good, is a good oh, example. Yeah, but, you know, you can't you know you can't have people like say John Baisley, um, Zvigny Bielak and Shirenu and not have vinyl it's just um, like the world can't can't let that happen <laughs> yeah. it, it, you know there's, there's, a, there's a you know something balances a bit struck and so you get someone like say Zvignu who does the ghost artwork he does Watain's artwork he does he's done um, Paradise Lost loads, you know does that really kind of super detailed architectural style and um, every album cover you know it's just a world you go into mm. and it you know it really tells you kind of a large part of where the band's coming from when you know what kind of style of artwork they have. Um, you know a lot of the kind of the occult extreme metal bands when they get Zvigny to do the artwork or someone similar, and you know they're just these beautifully painted you know worlds. That's um, that's genuinely what heavy metal artwork was always supposed to be about. Just sure. moved up to a next level. Definitely. I mean, I think for me it just comes down to an overall aesthetic. Mm. and whether aesthetic is still important in metal and you know as much as we can say image doesn't matter and, and stuff it absolutely is vitally important um, to, to the, the, the funny thing is the two bands that I've thought of that are at the opposite end of that spectrum who so carefully craft their image and so therefore all their artwork is a natural progression of that uh, Bring Me The Horizon and Ghost because every mm. time those two bands you know with Bring Me The Horizon they came out with Mantra and it was like Ollie's turned his hair purple he's wearing these red tinted shades uh, the clothing they're all wearing looks a bit different. Yeah. The whole vibe of the, the artwork and the, on the single and stuff all looks different. Um, they're using that weird low-cap font yeah, and all yeah, their yeah. stuff they're doing, and that's on the album. Like, And that's stuff that their fans will go absolutely do lightly for. They're invested in it. They're interested in it. And that's really important. And Ghost, on a totally different level, do the exact same thing. When that artwork for Prequel came out, it was like, this looks, that looks amazing. Holy yeah. shit. It looks satanic. It looks subversive. Um, but it also looks kind of a little bit knowing as well. Yeah. Um, it's what ghosts are all about. And it all feeds into, you, you know, it all has to be one part of the puzzle. And I think c- certain bands, um, that's vitally important. The other side of that are bands like Killswitch Engage, who we talked about, one of my favourite metal bands. I don't think, I can't, I, I quite like the Alive I was just breathing cover when it came out, but really yeah. it's all, you know, it's not something that bothers me, bothers me too much. I can't think of Killswitch doing anything album cover wise that make me go, oh my God, oh, what the fuck is that? It's all kind yeah. of just yeah. safe kind of metal looking stuff. But I love bands that, you know, every every element like of the aesthetic is thought is as much a part as music is, you know, whether it's like Ghost, Watain, Forest of Stars, you know, the whole, the whole kind of Victorian metal thing. And, you know, 
album covers are windows into a world and you know my favourite bands they kind of create a world and a threshold you cross over and it because that's what it's like sitting with the record with the vinyl when you first got records and you're sitting there listening to it you know you're looking at the sleeve you're reading the lyrics you're in that world of that band mm-hmm. and um, art, you know album artwork is the window into that yeah. and it, it creates you know all the settings for it and also you know it's a great place for having like symbolism and you know ghost records are full of symbolism Watain that covers are Full of symbols, you know, like people like Svigniew and and um, and Costin, they always put lots of symbolism in, and, and John Baisley too. And you know, it's, it's hugely important. Definitely. So it's a resounding yes. Yes. So in terms of what actually makes a great album cover, my only thought is, I much prefer illustrated covers than ones that are photo based. Nine times out of ten, there's some that I've got yeah, photos of that I think are great. But there's one that's on the Hammer site right now, um, the new Ken Mode album, which the artwork, I don't know if you've seen it, is terrifying, I guess, and really horrible. It's a, by an artist called Randy Ortiz. This is, I can't remember, I'm trying to remember the actual full name of the art, a piece of art. It's called something like a happy person having a pleasant conversation in public or something like that. And it's basically like this te- maniacal, like stare and grin, like just painted black face on charcoal. And it just looks like it's born out of anxiety and fear and pain. Mm. Um, and it's just really horrible to look at and listen to that record at the same time. It's just like, but I love it. I love that artwork. It's like, you know exactly what that band sound like because of that. Definitely. That's probably my favorite artwork this year, maybe. Just because it's so simple, but also it's really fucking horrible. I remember also like growing up with 4AD records. They used to put out Cocteau Twins and Dead Can Dance. And they had, you know, the, their, their covers back in the 90s, 80s, 90s were like famous for being the most beautifully designed covers. There was a company called V23 and Von Oliver used to do them. And I wanted to be a typographer because of those covers. I just, they were just, you know, the level of design on that was so beautiful itself at its time, so state of the art. And it was just, yeah, beautiful. So I'm obsessed with design and typography. And that's what, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a typographer when I was younger. And look at you now. Look at me. <laughs> just, just tapping away on it. It's like wearing a, a low rider, really basic Jack Daniels rip off t shirt. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's good typography, though. It's, it's actually typography based, so there you go. Wow, well, there we go. Got time for one more question, I reckon. Uh, Cole Gable asks Do any of you listen to podcasts? And if so, what are some of your favourites? Yes, um, I listen to a shit ton of wrestling podcasts. Uh, Jim Smallman's uh, from Progress Wrestling is very good, so is Steve Austin's, Jim Ross's. Uh, uh, what's Jericho's one called? Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. That's it. Which I was on a few weeks back. You can go back and listen to that if you want. Subtle. Um, that yeah, that's a good podcast as well. Uh, big fan of film podcasts. Um, uh, the Empire one's very good. Uh, the Football Ramble is great as well if you're into football. I used to quite like really the Guardian. Fun, Reverend. I quite like the Guardian football podcast. Oh yeah, that's really good. Um, I've got a few sort of political ones. I mean, every morning it's religion. Honestly, I wake up listening to the Red Chair Medal podcast because I'm obsessed with American politics and how nuts it all is. And her thing is like really incredibly well, well researched and just getting at things beneath the stories that other people just wouldn't have gotten mm-hmm. and looking at historical reference. And she's, she's such a good talker. It's amazing. Uh, one of the funniest kind of political podcasts I read is, uh, sort of listen to even, uh, it was called Capital, and it's basically like a Radio 4 play in six parts, and it's a piss take on the Brexit vote, but it's like, you know, um, England has accidentally voted for um, capital punishment, 
And they put together this team of civil servants, this useless team of civil servants, trying to figure out how to implement it. And, um, you know, with all this kind of talk about no-deal Brexit, it's just, it, it's so funny in itself. And it just, um, it gets more and more like close to the bone with every passing week. Uh, so Capital, it's just, it's so funny. It's like a radio play, but it's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Awesome. Uh, so I, I listen to political podcasts. I don't listen to that many wrestling podcasts, to be honest. But I listen to Athletico Mince, which I think is brilliant, which is like a comedy podcast uh, with Bob Mortimer and oh, I Andy Dawson, uh, which is basically sort of a, it started off as a piss-takey football podcast and now it's just turned into something completely surreal and weird. Uh, I listen to uh, the Beef and Dairy Network podcast, which is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> which is basically like a re- it's a comedy podcast a lot of it's improvised I think it's had a few, quite a few comedians on including Ed Gamble who hosted the Golden Gods two did, years ago did, um, and basically it's like setting like this surreal sort of alternate universe where like the beef industry is like the biggest thing and everyone loves beef and everything's everything's related to cows and it's just so mental all these different things how people got addicted to pork and that's like a, akin to heroin and it's just what? so it's so mad it's amazing it's so good um, and then there's the Talking Simpsons which of is, course you do which is yeah an episode by episode a dissection of the Simpsons and each episode is like an hour long it's really good if you're into the Simpsons but I don't know how long if I'm, if I'm going to listen to it forever because it might just kill me uh, other than that just interview based ones like Distraction Pieces and Adam Buxton's podcast and Distraction Pieces is great yeah, and, uh, was and Richard Herring's one and the, the Joe podcast with uh, what's his name James O'Brien is really good I forgot what it's called now but that one's really good too jolly jolly good uh, we'll be back next week with all the latest news reviews and sexy gossip from the world of heavy metal <laughs> sexy metal gossip <laughs> don't forget the latest issue of Metal Hummet is on sale right now go buy it support us then we can bring you all this kind of lovely shit uh, if you liked our conversation about Slipknot's Iowa earlier also Luke did a very cool thing ranking all the songs of Iowa in order how did you even manage to do that I already disagree with my decision oh, so. <laughs> there you go you can go disagree with them as well <laughs> don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and Acast and leave us a review so we can infiltrate those rubbish mainstream podcasts Boom. many of which we just we just listed yeah, all these ones we just named and like yeah fuck down with them uh, we will see you next week stay metal everybody bye bye